What a wonderful time of worship we've had this morning. I think poor Sam wants to preach. and I think he's going to give it his best effort too. So, uh, But I'm, I'm glad he's in here. It's always a delight to be together and worship together. And we are a family after all. And uh, we need those reminders. We need those reminders along the way. It is helpful as we think about reminders, uh, what we're doing today. Now, at the conclusion of our service, of course, uh, we're, we are going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And what a wonderful reminder that is. But we have reminders all the time. I mean, our worship service itself is a reminder, is it not? Reminder of the goodness and grace and glory of the Lord. Reminder of the fact of the ways in which He has blessed us and the fact that not only has He given us Himself, but He's given us one another. That we get to worship together and sing together and pray together and study together and grow together. We have reminders all over the place in our lives. Many of you have reminders all over your phone, and maybe if you're old school, you've got post-it notes sticking up everywhere in the house, reminders to go here and be there, and what time is this, and this is that, and then you lose your post-it notes, or you lose your phone, and well, you're reminded that you lost all of that and need more reminders. We need reminders all of the time. And really, as we come into 1 John, and I invite you at this moment, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John. And as we continue talking about knowing Jesus and walking with Him and all the ways in which knowing Jesus impacts our life and having the assurance of the forgiveness of our sin, of understanding and seeing, even as we've seen thus far in 1 John, of the wonder of knowing the Word of life and He who is revealed as God who is light. And we've seen Jesus as both our advocate and our propitiation. We've seen how this impacts the ways in which we love Him and love one another and respond to Him in every which way. And by the time we get to this point in 1 John, it's important to see that what's going on here is not just these little reminders and sort of poetic verse as you might look at it by the editors uh, looking at your New Testament. But what we see here in reality is Reminders for the family of faith. Reminders of the wonders of knowing Jesus. That we ought to hear and heed the reminders of the encouragements and the warnings. So grab your copy of God's Word and read with me 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read down through verse 17. Read with me as we do. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12, says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. Lord, we thank you for reminders. We thank you for the familiarity with reminders and songs that we can pick up with and sing along with. New songs of reminders of old truth to stir our hearts yet again. 
Father, we thank you for reminders that you've given us, such as the Lord's Supper, reminders that you have embedded in your word for us to know and hear and heed. And Father, we pray that in this moment now, you would give each and every one of us individually great clarity and understanding with regard to how we ought to respond to you, given what you have to tell us today. Father, teach us, lead us, guide us, and grow us. For your great glory, we ask it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to this passage of Scripture, obviously you see here, it's like embedded in here, these reminders. And what we find are they really, they're family reminders. We have these little notes of I am writing, or he even says later on, I write. There's a little bit of a shift in words there, but it's really written for emphasizing the revealed word and the truth that's in there. And it's specifically addressed to the brothers and sisters in Christ. But the obvious question as you read these things, is you start to ask, okay, well, well, who are the little children and who are the fathers and who are the young men? Why is he using these family terms? Because they are family words, aren't they? And I think given the context of where we are and context is exceptionally helpful here, what we find as you think broadly within the New Testament, you realize there are many metaphors for the church, one of which being we are a family. As born-again believers who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that you have turned away from your sin and trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, not only are you saved and redeemed, but you are adopted into the family. But when you are born again and adopted into the family, you're not born again as a mature Christian. You're born again and you are an infant in your faith. And as you grow along and there is opportunity for maturity, you become adolescent in your faith, you might say. And after a while, by the work of God's grace and through the constant feasting upon His Word, you may become more mature in your faith. What we find here are these family reminders that are embedded as reminders for those who are in the family of faith. Wherever you find yourself within the family of faith. Because you may be born again as a 55-year-old person or whatever else, but you're, you're just starting your walk with Christ. So you need to see how these reminders matter and where they fit. And so we all need all of them nevertheless. So we see in verse 12, it says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The little children, and in fact, the, the word in the Greek text not only indicates little children in the sense of babies, but also a word that has a great deal of affection associated towards it. We love the little babies, don't we? I mean, we look at the little baby, and no matter what they're doing, right? They could be throwing up. We're like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> it's cute. I mean, even their failures, right? They, they scoot around or they mess something up. It's like, oh, it's just a baby. It's cute, right? It's how we are. Even the mishaps are joyful because you're looking at the child, you're looking at the, at the baby, and it's just a, an emblem that God gives life. God is the giver of that. And then as we look at brothers and sisters in Christ and those who first come to faith, and there's all sorts of stuff going on, and there's mistakes and everything else, and yet there's great grace because you know there's so much opportunity to know and enjoy the Lord. There's so much to learn and grow in, but they need time to grow. 
And it's like right here, he's embedding in their minds, remember, always remember, while you're rejoicing over the reality of new life, and you can celebrate that, you know, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But you need the reminders, and you need the reminders of the basic things. He says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Because if you get the basics down, then you can handle the complicated stuff. If you've ever played sports in any sport, anywhere, you've heard some coach make that point. Get the basics down. Before you're going to learn the you know, complicated way in which a zone defense works, you've got to learn how to tackle. Right? Before you're going to be able to, to break the full court press, you better learn how to dribble and pass the ball. It's true in math, it's true in medicine, it's true in life. Get the basics down. Don't forget. We need the reminder. Don't forget your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now that's only true for the believer. It's only true for the person who has turned away from their sin and trusted in Christ. Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And when you first come to Christ, it's like the shadows of the old life loom large. And there's so much baggage to unpack and unload. And yet his grace is sufficient for all of it. Remember, little children, new to the faith, your sins are forgiven. God is holy. We are sinful. We rebelled. We walked. We went our own way. We transgressed His holy commandment. We stood condemned by our own actions and by our own heart. And yet God in love sent His Son to save us who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead, that all who turn to him in faith have forgiveness and everlasting life. Don't forget, little children. And notice even how he says it. Your sins are forgiven. It's a present reality. We're not waiting for one more thing. We're not waiting for some other piece to the puzzle to come into play. No, remember the words of Christ from the cross. It is finished. You don't have to worry about it. There's no repeating it. It's done, and it's been done for his namesake. That our salvation doesn't testify to how great we are. It testifies to how great Christ is. His great grace at work in our hearts and lives, that He saves us, and our testimony, our lives become a testimony to say, Look at what God has done. You can go to your friends and your spouse and your neighbors and your family and everybody else and be like, You know me. You know I don't deserve this. Look at what He's done. Remember, hear the loving reminders. Little children, Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He goes on, verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. Now when we see fathers, we're like, okay, we're we're talking about fathers, we're talking about believers who are walking to a degree of maturity that it's a reproducible maturity, you might say. To use it another way, disciples who are making disciples. And that would involve not only evangelism, but also once you reach someone, or God reaches somebody with the gospel that you've shared, once you see that happen, that's not where this stops. That's where this begins. 
And you start to unpack and walk in all of what it means to teach them to observe all the things that He has commanded us because we're teaching people to love Christ, to love Christ with their obedience and how they live their lives. And so all the teaching and all the correcting and all the guiding that goes along with that, it's just like being a father, isn't it? Because you might use the word father, but if all you, the only time you were ever around was right there at the very beginning, that's not really being a father at all, is it? A father is around. It's a long job. It's a long job to take somebody who is, who is newly born and walk with them and then usher them into life as a mature adult. And that we have to be careful how we define spiritual maturity especially because spiritual maturity is not getting to where you've got it all figured out, you know all the answers, and you've got you know, your swagger and everything else. Spiritual maturity is an ever-increasing reliance upon the grace of Christ in every aspect of your lives. Constantly unwound and constantly undone and constantly recognizing your need for Him to do in you what you can't do in yourself. Listen, fathers, you know Him who is from the beginning. Remember who He is. Remember His significance. Never get over the wonder of what it means to know Him. Because as you're laboring in the work of what it means to disciple brothers and sisters in Christ, if you know Him who is from the beginning, that's He who began a good work in you who will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. If you know Him who is from the beginning, that's the one who knits you together in your mother's womb, who knows your days. And who works all things together for good. Never lose the wonder of knowing him. He who marks off the heavens with a span. Is the one who cares about your anxieties. The one who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. Is the one who pours out his mercy in our lives in our time of need. Don't ever get over it. It affects every way in which we talk about Him, doesn't it? It's like once you get further on in your walk with Christ, don't lose the wonder of knowing Him and who He is. And He says, I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. Those who are growing in their maturity, where immaturity is still present, but it's a, in a decreasing and it's fading and you know all the aspects of, of growing up, and you know, you think of adolescence, and I mean, I just look back on middle school. I mean, I know there's some middle school kids in here. Don't take, it's just a weird time of life. I look back at, at you know, yearbook pictures, or, you know, think back of things I did in middle school. I'm like, man, right? God is gracious, is all I can say when I think of middle school. But you know what? God is gracious. He leads us through that. The God who is faithful for you when you're in the middle school days, you're trying to figure out life, you don't know how in the world it's ever going to make sense, and then you get to to high school and you're like, okay, now it's more confusing, right? And then you you graduate from high school and you you go out into the workforce, you go into uh, further schooling and you learn more, and you're like, what in the world is going on? No, God is faithful. Listen, I'm writing to you young men because you've overcome the evil one. If you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord... Be encouraged. Be encouraged by the victories 
all along the way because they're so easy to overlook. Be encouraged by the small thing, the ways in which God shapes our desires to know Him. And all of a sudden, we take an interest in reading His Word, and we want to pray, and we want to pray for one another, and we want to share the goodness of His glory and grace. We all of a sudden find this desire to love one another. That's evidence of the victorious power of Jesus Christ. Because we haven't overcome the evil one because we're victorious. It's because Jesus is. It's just like that song we sang a second ago, isn't it? His victory is our victory through faith in Him. Don't be discouraged in your spiritual life because it takes a long time. It takes a long time for a a person physically to start as an infant and grow into a fully functioning, mature adult, doesn't it? See, the danger for the church is twofold. One is just to assume it's going to happen. And the other is to look at those who are, who are just newly born again and expect them to be acting like a mature believer, and we just prod and chide them all along the way. We can't do that. That's not what a father is supposed to do. That's not what our heavenly Father does. That's not what we should do either. So he's writing to encourage the young men. You've overcome the evil one in Christ. Overcome Satan by faith in Christ and Jesus. And his victory is ours. Victory over sin. Victory over temptation. Victory over all those times in which we hear the whispers, did God really say? And we look in His Word and we say, yes, He did really say. And we throw our lives into walking and faithfulness with Him. Where He overcomes all discouragement and all doubt. And our attention and our affection and our devotion just continues to become ever increasingly more focused on Him. Brothers and sisters and those who are adolescent in your faith, celebrate every victory you have. And when you look around in your own life and all you see is your own failure, lift your eyes to the Lord and be reminded He's victorious. And find encouragement in Him. And see, He cycles back around here. He says, I write to you children because you know the Father. And of course, maybe you're the literary type and you notice the shift in verb tense here, right? And it's a sort of re-emphasis of stating things in another way and referring back to things that have even already been written, but also include the things that are currently being written right here. So another reminder, we learn things by repetition. That's why we sing the ABCs. We remember them. That's why we learn all those vacation Bible school songs. And you can, I mean, you can find yourself 20 years later at the most random moment, and all of a sudden you're going to be singing vacation Bible school songs. You're like, what in the world? It's because you sang them 100 times for five days. It makes a difference. He says, children, the littlest ones, those who are so reliant upon others for care and nourishment, remember who you know and remember who ultimately meets your needs. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. And see, no matter how mature you are in your walk with Christ, what a reminder this is. You know Him, so go to Him. Go to Him in prayer. Go to him with all of your anguish 
and all, your, all of your needs and all of your worries and all of the littlest problems. You know him. Boast of him like a child with their daddy. Remember all the schoolyard boasts? Those are fun days, aren't they? All the, oh yeah, well my daddy can, right? Do we do that with our heavenly father? Are we that astounded at him and taking refuge in him and relying on his faithfulness like a father that he's always present and he always responds and he brings the comfort of his love and the encouragement even in the moments of his discipline? And brothers and sisters in Christ, never forget that that whole tendency that dads have to always look at their children like they're little still. To refer to our children, you're still daddy's little girl. You're still daddy's buddy. Where does that come from? That comes from our heavenly father. That affection does not diminish as the days go by. It's always there. That's how our father looks at us. The affection never fades. He who knew us before the foundation of the world, his affection has never faded. I write to you, children. Because you know the Father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. He repeats the same thing. Again, don't lose sight and don't lose the overwhelming sense of wonder of knowing him. Enjoy the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Of he who raises the dead and calms the storms. Even thinking about raising our hands and saying, I am Lazarus. What a wonderful illustration that is. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we're made alive in Christ Jesus. That we know he whose patience has walked with us through every weird, difficult, strange, easy moment that we've had in our entire lives. And it never faded even an ounce. And it's like the more you lean in and the more you learn and the more you know, the more amazing it gets. Of his holiness and righteousness and faithfulness and goodness and grace and mercy and patience and providence. To remember, be amazed. Hear the loving reminders. He says at the end of verse 14, I write to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. As you're growing and you're maturing and you're learning. Notice how encouraging this is. You are strong. Why would it be stated that way? Because we know we're weak and that our strength comes from the Lord. That we live our lives and we live our days as ever, really ever increasingly understanding that we are unable to do what we need to do and that we find ourselves strong when we're weak. That His grace is sufficient for His power is made perfect in our weakness. It's His strength and it's a current reality to face today and to face tomorrow. That if you have it now and it's coming from the Lord and He sustains and He's always faithful, the same one from whom you draw strength from today is going to be just as faithful tomorrow to do this exact same thing. Hear the encouragement. Hear the loving reminders. He says the Word of God abides in you. Current reality. That you've learned and you've feasted upon his word. And that you see God's word as crucial to your spiritual growth. Spiritual maturity is directly connected to a healthy diet. 
The more you draw and the more you glean and the more you feast upon and have a healthy diet of nourishment from his word, both in the sense of individually and in the sense of collectively as a church, we will watch and see as God works in us what we could never have done in ourselves. And as the word is sown into our lives, it doesn't return void ever. And he says it abides in you with lasting effects. Which means you'll be able to see it in every aspect of your life. As you walk through seasons of singleness. And you walk through the beauty of marriage. As you walk through work and retirement. As we learn to live with what it means to love your neighbor and to love your enemy. His word his name, his glory. And it's like you're looking at your life and you're starting to look at it not simply as look at what I've done, but you're looking at your life and saying this is the garden of his grace. Look at what he's done. We need these reminders. And he says, and you've overcome the evil one. Remember, this is true. He's not speaking in potential. He's speaking in actual sense. It is true. You have overcome the evil one through faith in Jesus Christ. See, we need to hear these reminders. Because the world is full of dangers and full of distractions and full of things that all along the way pull our attention and our affection and our devotion away from Him. And so we need these loving, encouraging reminders, but we also need the loving warnings against worldly desire. Because He goes on in verse 15, He says, Do do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And at first you may be reading this and you recognize this is 1 John. And of course you recognize it's the Apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who was used to write this. And then you think, wait a second, he just said do not love the world. What about John 3.16? God so loved the world. He just told us not to love the world. We have to be careful here. This is another place where context helps. And then as we think about the world as he's using the word here and really throughout the letter of First John. He's unpacking it in the sense of the realm of rebellion against God that despises the family of faith. He's drawing clear lines of distinction in the sand as he has already done and he continues to do. And ultimately with the indication of saying, look, whose side are you on? Because you can't have both. Who's ultimate in your affection, in your attention, in your devotion? Who's supreme in your life? Who's most valuable and most important? He says, don't love the things of the world or, or don't, do not love the world or the things in the world. We can talk, I mean, there are illustrations everywhere about this. You can talk about money. You can talk about your own worldview. You can talk about your understanding of the, of the nature of, of truth. We have to be careful about all these things that not everything that glitters is gold. Just because it's trendy doesn't make it true. And warnings are a loving thing. 
When a parent tells a child, don't do that, it's not a mean thing. It's a loving thing because you know the harm that's on the other side of that. That's what's going on here. He says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You can't hold two things as preeminent at the same time. You're either living as a conqueror in Christ as one commentator put it, or you are conquered by the world. And it's as though it's just enough of a warning here for us to slow down and give us pause and to look under the hood, so to speak. Is the love of the Father in there? Because the only way we would ever be in there, we're told later on in 1 John 4.19, we love because He first loved us. It's a response and acknowledgement to His love that initiated with Him in our salvation. But if we hold the world up as preeminent, if this is all there ever is, and we're just going to live to enjoy every, every aspect of it and not care anything about what God has said concerning Himself, careful, the love of the Father is not in you. He says in verse 16, as he continues to unpack the loving warnings, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Desires of the flesh and the sense of physical lust, and you can talk about you know, sexual lust or material lust or you know, uh, drunkenness and just being overwhelmed in the, in the flesh in that sense. It's, it's sort of like taking your life and saying the end-all, be-all is just the pursuit of pleasure in a Christless way. And there are so many whose lives are lived in this way, and it's like watching a pathway of destruction. It consumes their life. It's not from the Father. He says the desires of the eyes, those things that capture attention. And of course, you could talk about the sort of lusts of the eyes. You could talk about everything from, you know, pornography to covetousness, of just the whole notion of keeping up for the jo- with the Joneses, or even the whole notion and the weird idea of I'm going to live my life to get the fleeting five-second attention for somebody to look at a picture on the internet and to click a thumbs up. That's where many people are, isn't it? And it's like a pit of despair because it's never enough. He says those things, it's robbing so many of contentment. See, this is a warning. You will live for what you love. He says, or the pride of life. The pride in possessions. That what we most value is most reflected in what we boast about. What do you brag about? Is our boast in the Lord? Is it ever in the Lord? I'm not saying don't boast about your family. Brag about your family. They're a blessing from God. But in the midst of bragging about your family, brag about the one who gave them to you. But even more than that, look at who we have in, in Christ. He says these things aren't from the Father. This is from the world. It's like he's writing to us with this warning. Check the source. We do this all the time, don't we? When your phone rings and it's from somebody 
you know, halfway on the other side of the world and you answer it and they want to sell you a car warranty, you know because of the source, it's like, okay, no thank you, right? Hopefully it's that kind. Probably not. When we think of water, right? You think of what is the source of this? We're looking at these. Even when we read the news, it's like, well, what source did you get that from, right? Check the source of the desires of your own heart. The ways in which you live physically, the way, what captures your attention and your affection, those things that you find yourself living for. Is the love of the Father in there? Are you delighting in forgiveness and knowing Him and overcoming in the joy of what it means to have He who is from the beginning with you? See, these reminders are helpful. We need to heed the warnings. Because in verse 17, he says, And look, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. Check the expiration date. I've seen you in there at the milk aisle looking at the thing, and you're like, this is going to go bad tomorrow. I'm not getting that one. Look around us. This stuff is passing away. It's not to say that we throw away everything material because we don't, because we exist in the flesh. But as you look around in this room, maybe as you sit around at the lunch table this afternoon, every single individual that you see is going to exist in eternity somewhere. Solely on the basis of how you responded to Jesus Christ. Don't live for what is fleeting. Don't live for the lusts that never satisfy. For the pride where it's never enough. So many have lived this. And some in here certainly still are. Heed the warnings. And get this right. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. It's an open invitation, isn't it? Whoever you are. Wherever you're from, whatever the backstory may be, whoever you are, it's an open invitation. invitation. Repent. What is the will of God? Repent and believe the gospel. Trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Walk with Him in faithfulness and watch as He unfolds the wonder of His will in your life in even a broad sense of sanctification and rejoicing always and praying without ceasing and giving thanks in all circumstances. Heed the warning and receive His mercy and grace. Trust in Him. And watch what happens when he takes your life, lived for fleeting desire after fleeting desire after fleeting desire, and it feels like you've lived, everything's chasing after the wind, and then you find Christ, or Christ finds you, and all of a sudden you know him, and you trust him, and you see that everything that's done along the way, even as you look around at one another, you realize this is for him and for his glory, and it's going to abide forever. What is done for Jesus in this fleeting life matters for eternity. How you love your wife matters for eternity. How you parent your children matters for eternity. How you sow the seed of the gospel among those who are around us matters for eternity. 
Every, every way in which you spend even a moment in his word to glean some aspect of truth matters for eternity. Our songs of praises gathered gather together, resounding with our attention and our affection and devotion, fixed on Christ, that matters for eternity. We're not playing trivial games here. We're doing things that matter forever. Look at your life. Under the light of God's word, by the work of his spirit, may he examine your life. And maybe you find yourself looking and thinking, the love of the Father is not in there. In that moment, say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the dead. And in that moment, you will go from a bleak wasteland of life lived for your own pursuits and pleasures to a loving place full of grace and truth where God will work in you and bring to completion what he will start today as you trust in him. Amid all the fleeting moments, trust in he who abides forever. Before we take the supper this morning and the wonderful reminder of the love of Christ, hear and heed the reminders today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and you just needed some encouragement. Be encouraged. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and under the light of God's word, he has shown your heart to be empty and without him. And yet, yet, here is another opportunity to get this right. To look and see, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in love, he demonstrated his own love in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we can either take the wages for our own sin, which is death, or you can take the free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus as Lord. And it all comes down to whether or not you trust in Jesus and who He is and what He's done. Where He lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, died on the cross for your sin, bearing the full outpouring of the wrath of the Father against your sin, died and rose again in victory. Who is it that you're trusting to build your life? Get that right today as we hear and heed these family reminders. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are good. Thank you for reminders. Thank you for being so good that you know how much we actually need them because we are so prone to forget. Lord, we pray that in this moment now for the person who's here who has never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, we pray that before we do anything else that their heart would be made right with you. 
That they would turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus, crucified on the cross and risen from the dead for their forgiveness and justification. God, do in them what you alone can. And Father, for all of us here today, may we be refreshed with your encouraging reminders to look away from ourselves, to look away from all the stuff we fix our eyes on, and to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Be honored now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.